Welcome to Fashion Your Seatbelt, your first class seat to one-on-one -on -one conversations with the fashion industry's top voices. I'm Jessica Michaud, and I created this podcast to share the joy I have in getting to know all the amazing people who bring this creative, inventive, and extraordinary business to life. You'll get to hear the cadence of their voices, the sound of their laughter, and feel firsthand how passionate they are about what they do. But before we get this show on the road, I want to say a quick thank you to GPS Radar for making this episode possible. GPS Radar is the members-only website where leading fashion brands and media connect. Also, I just want to remind you to leave a review. Stars are really trending right now, and it helps other very stylish listeners like yourself find the show. Now buckle up, and let's get started. The rise of Brian Phillips, the president of Blackframe, to the top echelons of the fashion industry is both well-known and impressive. Instead of working his way up through the ranks of PR companies, he founded Blackframe after having made fashion inroads at the cult magazine Visionaire straight out of college. He then worked at the now-defunct production company Fatal Arts Syndicate and built up a close-knit group of friends who worked in the fashion industry. Friendships that included Carol Lim and Humberto Lyon, the duo behind Opening Ceremony, which Brian helped form from the ground up, and now those two run Kenzo as well, a deal which Brian helped organize. But perhaps the most mythic fashion war story in Brian's early career years happened when, while he was in between jobs, Hedy Slimane came knocking. Brian had worked with the iconic designer on a project a year earlier, the result of which apparently stuck in Slimane's brain. When Slimane reached out again to Brian, he was a creative director at Dior Homme. And after a meeting with then-CEO of Christian Dior, Sidney Toledano, Brian had a deal with the brand. Thus, at the tender age of 24, Brian launched Blackframe, his first two clients, Dior Homme and Visionaire. Since then, Brian has nurtured the creative careers of designers and brands like Rodarte, Delfina de la Treze, Helmut Lang, Eckhaus Lata, Woolrich, Dion Lee, and Nike launched a sister company called Framework that focuses on, and I quote, developing concepts for innovative brand experiences, and more recently became the creative director of the cult biannual publication, Garage Magazine. I personally have known Brian for many years, and what strikes you about him, besides the breadth and width of his cultural knowledge, is his no BS way of doing business. In an industry where schmoozing and sucking up has become almost an art form, Brian doesn't suffer fools or is looking for any acolytes. He is all business pretty much all of the time, and you better bring your A-game and offer up an interesting challenge if you want to get his attention. And Brian is a pretty interesting guy in his own right. I promise with this interview that if you can bear with the background hum of the air conditioning fan that finally shuts down at about the four minute mark of our conversation, you will be rewarded with an insightful and informative interview in which Brian lays out his business philosophy and creative strategy. Honestly, I just asked my questions, sat back, and let Brian run with it. Thank you so much for doing this. I know this is kind of last minute, so I appreciate it. My pleasure. All right, let's get cracking. So, I mean, I know people can Google you online and find out a little bit about your history. People know about the beginning, you know, having Visionaire and having Hetty and launching your company. That's all, you know, written up in your BOF bio for the 500. But I wanted to talk to you a little bit more about what it was that you thought at that time, what did you think, like, I can do this? Like, that you had the wherewithal, because you were very young, you know, had some experience, but, I mean, didn't have all the context in the world. What made you say, yeah, I'm going to go out on my own and do this? Naivete. <laughs> uh, I think it, it, youthful, you know, bravado, and 
also necessity, really. I mean, I think I was looking for work, and mm-hmm. uh, this was the best offer that I had. Um, you know, I, I, I left Visionaire uh, after about a year out of college, and, you know, I thought, okay, I'm going to, you know, I've been working here for a couple of years now, I'm going to try something new, and it was really hard to find a job. Hmm. You know, I looked around in all sorts of different businesses, historic preservation I was interested in, and architecture and urbanism, which is what I studied in college, and I thought I would work in the field of design, maybe, or I was going to work at a gallery. Um, I applied all over town, you know, thinking that a degree from Columbia and a couple of years' experience at a really, you know, cool and sophisticated magazine would be great on my resume and people weren't impressed. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you were looking at stuff that wasn't anything fashion related, but you really wanted to go I into wasn't. a different field. And then yeah. after that year, I ended up getting, you know, I, I getting connected with these two guys who started a company and kind of got my feet wet a little bit in mm-hmm. terms of, you know, a, a, being a part of a scrappy business. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when I started my own thing, it, that was, you know, sort of ending and I really didn't have another the thing lined up necessarily Mm -hmm. so it was really just the confluence of sort of yes I can do this I'm you know I'm great plus I need to do something Mm -hmm. because you know this is and this is the best I think I can you know hope for so it was it was really those two things happening at the same time so out of desperation, also sweet deal, having these you know these two contacts to kind of kick things off. But you've been able to maintain this company. It's going on. Is it fifteen? No. We just are turning fourteen. Yeah, almost. Yeah, almost. Yeah. Yeah. So fourteen years. I mean that that's that's not just a fluke. There's something behind <laughs> that. So yes. I mean, what do you think when you look at this the span of the work that you've done here? What do you attribute your success to? What is the what is what are the elements that make that secret sauce that the excess of Black Frame? You know, I wanted to go into magazines. That's why I moved to New York. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't figure out why at the time. And then I sort of got to realize later on that it, I had this sense of an editor sensibility, I guess you could say, mm-hmm. in, 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 the, in the way that I really have a strong opinion about the way things go together and how they you know, should or shouldn't go together and who belongs in the same room together and how to... You know, pull a group of people together in an interesting way that feels fresh and different than you know than than maybe what other people can see, and I think that was in there. That was mm-hmm. sort of the inkling that I had when I when I you know, when I was looking at things as a kid, and then what brought me to New York, and because I've always been very rigorous about the way that the company is put together in terms of like the people that are in it and the clients that we worked with and and not sort of taking the easiest way necessarily or going for the money that has always really been I think foundational to the success of the business because it's really coming from a very you know it's coming from my gut in a way, and it's also being built on years and years of experience now. Mm-hmm. But I think at the very beginning, it was just, you know, first of all, a fear of, of, of doing anything wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, I didn't want to really, I also didn't want to, you know, I wanted to make sure that everybody that we were working with was 
really interesting and had an incredibly unique point of view. And I think that being so attuned to that at that point of time just really served the, the company well in mm-hmm. the sense that we gained a reputation for being, you know, the cool, mm-hmm. cool kid on the street. You know, even though I don't necessarily think that was, you know, an accurate reflection of mm-hmm. what we were doing necessarily, but... I think that was a big part of it, um, that sort of the editorial eye mm-hmm. and being true to that over time and not compromising too much. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we probably could have been a lot bigger and, you know, maybe had more offices around the world or whatever if that was the path that we took. But I decided to really keep it personal. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, is that that's that's the thing. It's like you're almost 15 years in. How do you maintain that cool, the cool kid on the street? Because when you're young and dynamic and you've got all kinds of great ideas and it's all kind of flowing and then you kind of people get in entrenched in their way of doing things and mm-hmm. stuff. So how do you maintain that freshness? Is it you've had some brands since inception, you, you know, is it bringing in new blood as far as staff or how do you or do you yourself educate yourself, you know, have certain things that you do to continue to kind of uh, the word stay relevant mm, sounds right. nasty, but how does that work? What is that for you? I have a, a, a very strong curiosity about everything, about design, about art, about history, and that has kept me always looking for opportunities to learn. Mm-hmm. And I like to learn through working. That's kind of, you know, instead of being in, you know, a university setting, mm-hmm. a PhD, I feel like, you know, I'm learning by working with people and trying things that I haven't done before. Mm-hmm. So staying relevant, you know, I think is sort of like ebbs and flows mm-hmm. a bit, but I've just really, I've, I've tried to learn as much as I can about as many different types of creative fields as I possibly can. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, I've always been also interested from a, like a business perspective in, you know, the, the high and the low and the mass and the niche mm-hmm. and how those things inform each other and interrelate. Like I'm not really that interested in the middle. Mm-hmm. I'm interested in the poles. Mm-hmm. For instance, you know, we've worked with Nike for 10 years and Nike's, you know, the biggest, um, you know, sport apparel company in the world and is the absolute, like, you know, peerless innovator in, um, in you know, amplifying human potential and, you know, making the, the raddest yeah, stuff. Agreed. You know, and so, and there, you know, everybody is, you know, aware of that brand and that is such a powerful position to have as a brand. And I, I you know, learned so much and, and you know, have, have, have done so many interesting projects with Nike and that's very, very different than say Rodarte or opening ceremony in some ways, but the learnings that come out of these types of relationships are very unique. And I think having the perspective on both of those sort of poles of the, of the, you know, retail industry of the fashion industry, apparel industry, whatever, however you want to characterize it, that's been really helpful in terms of, you know, staying, fresh, I guess, mm-hmm. in terms of the perspective that we have, because it, we're seeing things bubble up from, you know, the the kids, mm-hmm. and then we're also seeing things happening at scale, and, you know, I've always tried to get more and more perspective mm-hmm. on the different facets of the business, um, the, you know, the fashion business or the, you know, the retail business, um, 
consumer goods business. So it's, it's, I think it's having more and more perspective is sort of what's kept the company, you know, fresh and, and relevant. And so talking, talking a little bit about that, I mean, looking at the fashion industry by its nature, it's always transformative, but you have to say within, since you started the company, the, the transformation of what fashion is and what it represents has, has been phenomenal. I think, you know, just completely, you know, upended and, and, and something maybe wouldn't, wouldn't even recognize back in the day. Um, and I think the same thing is also true for what you do in your, your industry. I don't think the classic PR formula works anymore. And, and you've been a real innovator as far as that's concerned. Where did you get that sense or that feeling or, or, or how would you describe this transformation and how you were able to adapt your company? You know, I, I think the first thing is, is that I never thought of Black Frame as a PR company, mm. even though it is yeah. a PR company. I, you know, I set out to work with the most creative people that I could because that's who I was attracted to and mm-hmm. inspired by. So I really thought of it as, okay, I'm a partner to this creative person or this creative business and how can I help them build prestige and tell their story in the best possible way? How mm-hmm. can I amplify their message that's mm-hmm. innate to them and how can I add layers to that that are that the world is going to respond to and that are going to be exciting? Mm-hmm. So that was really the place that I started from Mm -hmm. and I thought okay let's put art and fashion alongside one another which at that time in 2004 you know it was just really starting to happen from a kind of like formalized perspective like when I would go into meetings with galleries or art fairs or museums and they heard that I represented fashion brands they were like "Mm, that's 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 suspect wow we don't that's not, you know, that's, that's something fashion. else. You yeah. Know, this is art. Yeah. And, you know, that's really not the case anymore. So I think that when I was exposed to that, I thought, you know, okay, hmm, interesting. Like, we're going to keep pushing this. Like, I'm going to keep keep going there and keep mm-hmm. trying this. But it, 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 it made me feel like, okay, if I can be and we can have a company that is responsive to storytelling and that helps people build their image and be exciting like that never goes away you Mm -hmm. know that's not really subject to changes in business necessarily or in in the advent of digital Mm -hmm. because that's always relevant people Mm -hmm. always need to tell their story well and they always need to you know build the prestige of their business that they're going to keep doing Mm -hmm. it and if they think about legacy and that's actually what the art world is really taught me the most is how you you can build in relevance for the future from the beginning and how important it is to think about that from the word go mm-hmm. not you know at the end of the line so as this sort of fashion industry has changed I think that I've just sharpened our focus on story in different ways and tell how do we tell that and mm-hmm. adding sort of uh, a division of the company that focuses on content mm-hmm. and ideas and strategy has helped us to be really invaluable to to our clients and also I think the relationships that we've built are 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 very you know you know obviously people have come and gone in the industry but the relationships with, with people that we have have been very um deep and very long lasting and so 
you know, those are not hard to build. I mean, Mm -hmm. those are not easy to build. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, whereas other people might have, you know, just been spreading themselves too thin or, you know, too broad, we've been really, really specific and really focused. And so that has sort of, you know, kept us very much... Uh, in the thick of things. Well, okay, so then let's talk about that. You clearly are very careful about who you br- onboard and bring into the into the Black Crane family. What does it take for someone to get a rise out of you that you say, damn, I want to get my hands on that brand or that, mm. that designer or that gallery or what have you? What is it that makes you go, yes? It's, it's a very difficult thing to describe because it's so... It's such it's 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 something that's so built on instinct and experience, but if I had to try to sum it up, I would say that when I meet someone, or I see the work that they're doing, if it if it has that eye towards the the sort of the the you know the future in some way and I'm not saying it looks futuristic mm-hmm. but if it's sort of it has ambition built into it if it if it looks and feels and sounds like something that is serious about you know wanting to be a part of the conversation like that gets my interest up and I think you know when you meet people sometimes you can get a sense right away like is this somebody that you know, has world domination in mind. And maybe that, that doesn't... <laughs> okay. That you, it's not what you honestly, like, necessarily want to achieve. I don't, I don't believe in that. But I think that it's, it's that ambition. You know, I, I get excited when I meet somebody or see work that, to me, says, like, this has confidence to take on, you know, a, a lot bigger scale than it is right now. Mm-hmm. And that is something I get excited about because I feel like, okay, I want to be on board. I want to be on that train. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, that's like, it's going somewhere. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, for instance, I met these two women, uh, who were at American apparel for years, Iris and Carolina that started their own company called everybody.world a couple of years ago, I think about two now. And we, we started working with them, uh, right out of the gate, sort of building, you know, the messaging with them and, you know, doing their first launch and helping them, you know, meet people, introduce collaborators. But when I met them, they were like, we're going to change the manufacturing industry Hmm. for t-shirts because we're going to start making things out of trash. And we know how to do this because we've been doing it for 10 years at American Apparel. And even though nobody else is really doing it, we're going to do it. And it's going to be successful. You know, there's mm-hmm. nothing to prove that. Yeah, other that, than that them saying it. Yeah. Other than saying it. But, you know, I thought to myself, yeah, I want to be, I mean, that's awesome. Like, I want to get behind that. Mm-hmm. So, and I think they have integrity and they have, you know, the smart people around them. Mm-hmm. And when you meet people like that, it's just... It's very clear. I mean, it's not always clear, but I would say when I have that feeling, mm-hmm. you know, I get that like tingly feeling, like, ooh, I'm excited about this. Like, usually it's related to those characteristics. Okay. And then obviously there's, you know, there's iconic companies that you just, you know, think, ooh, that would be interesting to be, you know, in there in those. But wait, <laughs> right. Those so ones. give me one of those. What is, like, looking at all the iconic brands out there that you, is there one of them you'd be like, oof. I mean, it changes so fast. It's so true. By the time this comes out, it might already be. (laughs) No, but I mean, I think about like, for instance, 
Sony. I mean, even mm. though maybe Sony's not the most relevant right now, it's 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 a name that means so much to so many people, past and present. So mm-hmm. I think about places like that where ooh, that would just be so interesting to be sort of engaged mm-hmm. to think about that. You know, how could that relate to the world that we occupy, or whether maybe it's um, you know Kodak. Yeah, I, you know, I, think I see what you're things saying. Things that are just, you know, very, very uh, special to the cultural history of the world or the United States. Well, we were kind of talking about that. I was at the uh, kind of tangent here. I was at the Escada show, and I'm like, this is true that in the U.S., Escada's got such a brand recognition in fashion, you know, in circles, it's not a brand at all interesting, but it could be because it's got that name recognition like a, like a Sony or whatever within fashion that could have the potential to do something. But you did that with with uh, Helmut Lang, right? You went back in there and kind of like gutted the place and like reworked it to in a, in, in a strong way. Are, how do you feel about that process? I, well, I think that when a brand has so much importance and so many codes to it that people readily recognize you know that's so rare and special so a situation like that is just a dream for somebody like me because you you know you can hone in on those and try to bring them out again or express them in different ways or sort of think about how they're relevant now um so you know Helma Lang is you know, incredibly important to many people in fashion mm-hmm. and out of fashion. And I always, you know, personally really gravitated uh, towards it because of, you know, his investment into artists mm-hmm. and connection to artists like Louise Bourgeois and Jenny Holzer and Maplethorpe. You know, it was also a very queer brand, mm-hmm. you know, and I, and I think that there was a subversive side to it that I really gravitated towards. Um, and I felt like... And you know, and I was very clear what I, how about how I felt to Andrew Rosen. Well, you've always that. been very clear, Brian. You're somebody I found that you look people straight in the eye and you say what you think. And it's in a fashion world where everyone is so, um, oh hello, darling, how are you? Is everything wonderful? You've always been very much, oh, you know, shoot from the hit and straight straight to the point. Yeah, I think you know Andrew. Andrew, you know, asked me in for a meeting and. He asked me what I thought of Helmut Lang, and mm-hmm. I said I love Helmut Lang, and I would absolutely love the opportunity to work on this project. I think what you're doing right now is not interesting, <laughs> and I think it could be really interesting. And you know, I think he knew that already. Mm-hmm. That's why we're having the meeting. Yeah, I don't think he he expected necessarily us to come back with such a kind of proposition to you know address the brand, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was really, really excited to have that conversation and have that opportunity to at least even engage in in that kind of conversation. Mm -hmm. But I think what we found when we started really digging into it was, you know, this is some, this is a brand with so many codes that have been, you know, reified and reinforced in a really short amount of time, in a way, if you think about it, like, you know, from 20 years ago when things weren't moving so quickly, he, you know, the brand made, made things very iconic very quickly. And so that was just like, okay, this is a gold mine Mm -hmm. for so many 
other you know strains of thought but what we really kind of kept coming back to was that this is a brand that was always very pioneering mm-hmm. in its expression uh, to the world through imagery or through ways of communicating uh, in, other, shows. in other ways, yeah. shows, experiences, mm-hmm. and obviously product. But, you know, it, there, there also wasn't, a, there wasn't like a lot to it from a product perspective other than just like really, really great clothes that had these very clever, incisive um, twists to them and fabrication and mm-hmm. color. But really the experiences and the way that people filled them and the people that he, you know, handpicked was what was always so special about it, I think, mm-hmm. in my mind. You know, when I look at the images from, you know, the 90s today, it was really about the people that were a part of Helmut Lang, I think, yeah. from, a, from a communication standpoint. So that was like, you know, okay, we got to bring these interesting people back in. Well, was that, like, can you talk, go, like, you know, drill down a little bit about that? So, okay, so he says to you... All right, you know, pitch me. What do you got? Show me, kid. Um, how? What is your when you before you walk into that meeting? What goes on here at Black Frame to like get that? Like, what are you doing? You're going through books. You're having. What is the process like? Uh, I guess I'm used to having my brain sort of working on things, you know, all day and night. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's because I've just been working in this <laughs> business for such a long time now, so. You know, I'm not, it's not like I kind of like, you know, open my laptop, you know, at, at 7 a.m. and start mm-hmm. to get to work and then close it and, and stop. Like sometimes I'm just, you know, I'm like shopping for like, you know, cheeses, <laughs> like, you know, for dinner. And, and then I'm like, hmm, you know, it's, it's this kind of, it, it's just unexpected. I think you put it in there and you start to turn it around and you start to put things side by side in your mind. Like, does this, is this a good idea? Maybe if you put it next to this idea, like that sounds good. Or like, how do I, you know, it's, it's linguistic. It's, it's about writing things down and sort of like sizing them up once you write them down and, you know, maybe tossing out ideas to people and kind of hearing their reaction, you know, internally. I do that a lot. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you think about this? Mm-hmm. Or what about that? You know, I already already have maybe a little bit of an idea of where I'm going with an idea when I do that. But I like, you know, we, we, we talk about things and mm-hmm. we kind of weigh them. And But I, um, I'm usually trying to come up with a position that feels unique mm-hmm. in my own brain first. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, get the team on board to, you know get their feedback to help refine it and to help, you know, add sort of how we're going to make it work in real life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And execute it. But, um, I want to, I want to make sure that I feel, you know, really good about the underpinning and the premise of it before I share it. Hmm. Okay. So it really is all kind of coming from you in the, in the, at the jump. I think in this case with Helmut Lang, yes, Mm -hmm. but not, not everything, you Mm -hmm. know, we're super collaborative here and, I think that something I tell my team all the time is, you know, ideas can come from anywhere. Mm-hmm. And I think that I best would, idea wins. Yeah, really. I mean, and I, and I see like, if I, I'm really like, please, please, please like 
just even if you have the craziest idea, like throw it out there. Mm-hmm. You know, we sometimes have these brainstorms like what what are the like the wildest things that we can think of for our clients? And that to me, it's like it's an exercise and it's sort of, you know, a lot of times these things don't happen. They don't mm-hmm. come to fruition. But I think you have to do that exercise because out of that maybe comes another train of thought mm-hmm. that you weren't expecting at all. Like, mm-hmm. you know, how do you turn a brand into like a a media platform or a television show or should this brand become an app or like should we acquire another brand like I just feel like you have to try all these different ideas on for size Mm -hmm. a little bit and then you know you like (laughs) maybe you put it on you take it for a spin you're like "Mm, that doesn't fit right like I'm gonna try something else Mm -hmm. but I think it's helpful to to explore it you know and I think that those are the kinds of brands that we get excited about working with where they're open to that kind of thing. You know, mm-hmm. the Umberto and Carol are like the most, you know, open people. I would to say so. Ideas. They, yeah, they are all over the place with like trying everything yeah. and, but which has almost in its, of itself become part of their brand is yeah, that they're, it's, you know, and I guess the theme of the opening ceremony, it's bringing everything together. So, mm-hmm. and that is also something that you've been really good about is this, this collaborative thing. I think that that's something that really sets you apart from mm-hmm. maybe others is this idea. And then from the jump from, you've been always somebody who mm-hmm. brought in people from different fields together to work together. Mm-hmm. What would you say then is exciting you right now? Like looking forward and and maybe in the field of digital or in the in your work every day. Is there looking forward? Yeah. What do you think is really getting you jazzed? I I get excited about transformations or mm-hmm. evolutions. You know, that's to me. You know, I think that's kind of what we're we're really amazing at is helping helping somebody or a company evolve into something else that that is going to change the way people perceive it. Um, you know, and that sometimes may be really small evolution, but you know, Mm -hmm. it could be incredibly significant and being small. And sometimes it's could be radical. Um, you know, I get excited about things across the spectrum. You know, I think if, if it's an opportunity to work with somebody on, you know, a project that I think is really going to change the perception of what the brand is. Like Woolrich, you know, is a, a company that we've been working with, which, you know, f- you know, isn't really been doing anything quite, you know, shocking or interesting yeah. or like people haven't been following it so closely, but they've had an incredible business. Yeah. Um, and now they've consolidated all of their international divisions and are, are ready to kind of relaunch the brand and it's, you know, it's one of the oldest brands in America. It's the old, you know, oldest textile mill, 1830 in Woolrich, Pennsylvania. So that's very unique. You know, it's mm-hmm. older than Coke. So That I didn't know. Yeah, wow. I mean, it's older than Levi's. It's older than, it's pretty much the oldest apparel, you know, textile brand that exists in America. So, okay, that's really special. But, you know, nobody's really paying attention. So how do we divert, you know, how do we... How do we focus attention on this brand now? Um, and so we, we did this campaign with, with Lauren Hill that mm-hmm. we just launched. Um, and it's all about this idea of American originality. And we've called it Woolrich American Soul since 1830. But I got excited about that because it's like, you know, yes, it's just one ad campaign but it's the beginning of a new chapter in the chapter story. in the mm-hmm. story of this, this historic mm-hmm. brand and an opportunity to kind of 
snap everybody's heads over and say, oh, that's, I didn't think that they were going to do that. That's mm-hmm. interesting. So something like that excites me. Um, and the idea of thinking things through or new models of, of, of working um, through with people is very exciting to me. Like, you know, an idea that I had talked about with Kate and Laura from Rodarte a couple of seasons ago, we were like, you know, is it, do you have to do a show every season? Mm-hmm. Is that, that really necessary? Mm-hmm. You know, what hap- What would it be like if we decided not to do a show? What would we do instead? And I said, you know, what if, like, thinking about digital, like, you know, images are so important to this industry, you yeah. know, and it's like, and they carry the message out so far sometimes. And sometimes the purpose of a show is is a little bit muddied by like, you know, just the kind of the idea of having to do it every season or the, the institutionalization of showing mm-hmm. during a fashion week. Um, so I said, okay, well, let's think about this. Like, what if we made images that made everybody snap their head? Like, how do we create a head snap with imagery with that you do with a fashion show in all these different ways with, with images. Um, and I said, what if we, you know, what if the, the images featured people that everybody was just interested to see, you know, Mm. for whatever reason, um, you know, that in and of itself, like putting a celebrity in a, you know, a lookbook or something like that isn't fresh or new and, you know, that's been done before. So, you know, we, we ended up not doing it that season, but the idea had kind of been planted. And, you know, last last year, Kate and Laura um, said, oh my God, okay, we're going to do this idea, but, you know, here's what we're thinking. And it ended up becoming, you know, this, you know, a lookbook with Kirsten Dunst pregnant, um, you know, a bunch of other incredible women. Mm-hmm. Reese Witherspoon's daughter was yep. in it. Um, you know, had Denai Gurira. All you know, it wasn't just any one person on their own, but it was like the surprise of seeing this person or that person, or somebody revealing something in the image with like as with Kirsten's pregnancy because that's how she announced that's it, it was in this yeah. group of images, and it was just explosive. And I and it was everywhere. I mean, it was you know Rodarte. Uh, you know, fall winter 18 collection. And it was, it was, it was on every single website, you know, in the world, not just fashion websites, because it had pictures of Kirsten, it Mm -hmm. had pictures of Reese's daughter. It had, you know, all of these other young, incredible women. And so it was, it was, it was saturated out Mm -hmm. there. And we said, okay, like you don't need to do a fashion show to get the word out about the clothes. I mean, it's a different experience obviously for the media that are, you know, kind of consuming it and the way that maybe they feel about the brand, but it was a new model, you know, Mm -hmm. it was a new way of thinking about pressing a lever on something, um, and seeing it play out in the culture. Mm -hmm. So that excites me to try to, you know, shake things up in that way or suggest, new models to people mm-hmm. to work because I think that's what we're that's really what we're we're in this time where people are very open to maybe shifting mm-hmm. you know, their point of view or the way that they're working mm-hmm. the editor in residence idea at Helmut Lang was you know I think some people rolled their eyes or some people were sort of like what does that mean is mm-hmm. this person a creative director now but it's you know People that have an interesting point of view, like I said before, are always going to be valuable. It's yeah. just how they're sort of 
you know, maybe plugged into a, t- a type of a situation or a company. And I thought, think that that was something really interesting to try. Well, so let's talk, let's take that a step forward. You just plugged yourself into, well, not just into garage yeah. magazine. Now tell me about that. That's a, that's a, you know, kind of going circling back around to some ideas you had when you first started yeah. in the industry. What's it been like for you to, to ha- be working so closely with one particular publication? It's been amazing. I've had, I've been having the best time. (laughs) Good. um, You know, the thing that about Garage that made sense for me right now was that Garage was really founded as an art uh, and style Mm -hmm. publication. It was origin, you know, originated when Dasha Zukova founded her museum Mm -hmm. in Moscow, and then she created this, you know, printed, published offshoot, which was really about like. How do you extend, you know, the kind of museum mentality into print, like these more ephemeral kinds of projects that you could never do in a, you know, a physical space. Mm -hmm. So you do them as an editorial or a special project in the magazine. So that was sort of the underpinning of Garage from the beginning. It's taken some, you know, circuitous paths since then, but since... You know, Mark Guiducci became the editor and asked me to join as the creative director. That was what we wanted to really hit on as, like, our mission. Mm -hmm. Um, So that has been um, a really, really great return for me to being able to think about art again, um, to think about images in, in a way that is unbounded by, you know, the interests of a particular client. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's been really fun to work with a team of people that, you know, are so creative and, um, and have all these different points of view on art and fashion. And it's a great way to, I think, collaborate with all these different photographers that I've been dying to work with mm-hmm. in different ways. So it's been, it's been great. So it's been a new source of creativity for you that's probably also folding back into your work here at Blackfriend. I would imagine you're feeling that the work that you do with this is also really probably reigniting some ideas and some stuff, sparking some stuff back in the work. It's funny. I mean, in a way, I, I think about, you know, the world of ideas is not, you know, divided mm-hmm. by, you know, physical barriers. Siloed, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just where you're letting your mind go. So I think that everyone, you know, is focused on, you know, different types of ways of working. I feel really privileged to be able to be working, you know, in all the different areas of our industry, you know, like whether it be on advertising, whether it be in publishing, whether it be as a, you know, consultant to a brand, um, you know, I think that just having access to more ideas, more information is you know, it's just a good thing generally for anybody, you know, it's just like expands your mind. And I think that it gives me an ability to, you know, whatever, whatever of those areas I'm, you know, addressing my attention to, to do it better. Um, so it's, I think it's definitely taught me a lot. So, you know, that's never, it's never a bad Bad thing. thing. Yeah. All right. Um, two quick questions. And then my five generic fashion questions I always ask at the end. So two quick questions. One is, um, what do you do to relax, to get away, to have fun? Uh, I just drove across the United States, um, a couple weeks ago. Um, oh, wow. to, you know, I went to Yellowstone and I went to Jackson, Wyoming. And I think, you know, my, my thing that I do to relax is to, you know, 
climb a, a big hill. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> and, um, you know, just kind of get out into nature. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, any secret talents? Like something that you, outside of work or that you're really good at that maybe nobody knows about? Um... I like to garden. Gardening is my new secret talent. Although I don't know if I would consider it a talent. Does a talent <laughs> have to be something that you're really good at? I don't know. Do, are your plants surviving? I don't um, know. They're still living. Okay. But yeah, I'm like I'm really enjoying um, learning about soils and 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 like planting things and eating them after they grow. Oh wow, that is super cool. Mm. Okay, so what is your most cherished piece of clothing that you own? I think it's my. Nike Tom Sachs. Okay. Um, what, uh, what... Does it include jewelry? It includes whatever you want, yeah. Mm-hmm. Is there a piece of jewelry that means a lot to I you? I don't really get emotionally attached to clothes. Okay. Um, like, I think everything I have has sort of been, like, recycled um, or, like, gone away at some point in time. But then, so why did you say, does that include jewelry? Was there something that came to mind? Yeah, I have this, like, ID bracelet that, you know, an ex-boyfriend gave me a long time ago that I always wear. Mm -hmm. So I I love that. Um, Just because it's sort of, you know, it's, um, I think in in a way to me, like, because jewelry isn't, I don't know. It stands out to me in a, in a, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it necessarily, but it has more sentimental value, I guess. Yeah. Those to me don't really have sentimental value. So then this next question is not going to make work for you at all. So, um, what piece of clothing do you think, um, someone should really invest money in? I mean, you work with a lot of designers who make a lot of really expensive clothing, but is there one kind of piece in a person's wardrobe you think, yeah, that you need to invest in? I think a really amazing, um, wool or cashmere coat it's like the most kind of maybe it's because like as you know when I was moved to New York like I had no money and I was like my my mother would always be like you need a good coat like get a good coat and I was like no I want that like you know Alexander McQueen like satin coat from Century 21 (laughs) it's like completely not insulated at all so when I got like uh, you know like a really good cashmere coat I was like she was right mom's always right <laughs> mom is right. always right and I, you know and that's it's it's just like the like an awesome coat that just like cuts that like figure like it's, it's really key okay who is your favorite designer living or dead um Mutual Prada good choice um what fashion trend would you never follow Never a head-to-toe full look. Okay, from like a single, like off-the-runway single look. Okay. Yeah. Um, and final question, um, what do you love most about fashion? I love its ability to change our eye. I think that, you know, it, it proposes new ways of seeing things, um, you know, and that that's really what I love the most about it. Brian, thank you so much. This has been a such a treat. Thank Thank you. you so much. Thank you, thank thank you. you. Don't want to miss an episode of Fashion Your Seatbelt? No problem. Just go to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and click on the subscribe button. Then every new episode will drop into your feed automatically. No fuss, no muss. Fashion Your Seatbelt is made possible thanks to the wonderful people at Launchmetrics, the software company that is powering the fashion industry. 
and GPS Radar, the members-only website where leading fashion brands and media connect in style. I am a member of GPS Radar, and I can tell you, as a journalist, it has made my work life run much more smoothly. Believe me, I know. I'm Jessica Michaud.